And now, with Sound Investing, here's Paul Merriman. I have talked many times about how we are trying to prepare the individual do-it-yourself investor for having a conversation with themselves about the risk and return of different strategies, of how much to save, how 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 to save it, whether it be in IRAs or 401k, uh, how to diversify amongst the different uh, equity asset classes. And uh, on this particular podcast, we're going to focus on one step in this process, and it's a very, very important step. It's the step at which you have ended your 30 or 40 years of saving building towards retirement, and now you are going to make a decision as to how to invest in retirement and how much money to be taking out of your investments in retirement. And how, what strategy should you be using in taking distributions? A lot of questions that need to be answered. But I want us to give give perspective to what you went through to get to the point where you could say, enough work, now it's time to retire. And when I look at the things that we're asking you to consider in that process, it really is a whole series of defensive steps. Defensive steps in terms of diversification, defensive in terms of uh, taxes, defensive in terms of expenses, Uh, All the things, defensive in terms of being absolutely automated so that you didn't get caught up in the emotions of the process. But hopefully you did all those things, you have enough money to retire. And I want to concentrate, focus on that word enough. Because the other choice we have is to retire with more than enough. Now, we never know for sure how much enough is, but we're led to believe that if we save enough that 4% of that or 3% of that will meet our cost of living, that we probably have enough. But if inflation comes along, as it has been lately, then we also have to have enough money come out to make up for the increase in the cost of living. So in the tables that we have, the fixed distribution tables that we use, we not only show that you start out, let's say, taking 3%, and we assume a million dollars in the account, but you take out 3% or 30000 the first of the first year, And these studies start in 1970. And um, each year, the amount that would be distributed would be increased by the previous year's inflation. Because we don't know what the new year's inflation is going to be. So the moving parts are what asset allocation... And in the first table that we'll use in terms of distributions, we'll be talking about the very simple S&P 500 for the equity portion 
and the bonds are the combination of tips and short-term and intermediate-term governments. Very conservative. Well, it's as conservative as you want it to be based on how much you want to put into fixed income and equity. And before you look at the distribution tables themselves, I think it might be worthwhile to go back and take another look at table B1. That's the fine-tuning table uh, for the S&P 500. And there we can see from 100% equity to zero equity in 10% increments what the return would have been for the different strategies, different combinations of equity and fixed income. Well, we know that for a lot of the period of saving that we were all in equities, and then maybe when we were 40 or 50, we started transitioning part of the portfolio into fixed income. And at some point, when we think we have enough to retire, we then are going to make a decision. What combination of equity and fixed income do we want in retirement? And just for the sake of discussion, what I'd like to look at in this brief conversation is taking out the income from three levels of risk, 40% bonds along with 60% equity, 50-50 bonds and stocks, and 60-40, in uh, in stocks and 40% in bonds. So 40, 60, 50, 50, and 60, 40. And obviously, we expect that we would have more money to leave to others if we had 60% in equity than if we had 50 or 40. And I think that's what you're going to find. But then not only do we have to, uh, we want, I want you to look at what those columns represent here on that fine-tuning table. During this particular period of time, from 1970 through 2021, the 40% equity produced a 9% compound rate of return. That was a, that was a tremendous return for something that's only 40% in equities. The 50-50 produced 9.4 and the 60-40, 9.7. Now, I mentioned these three numbers, 9%, 9.4, and 9.7, because it doesn't seem like there's very much difference between those three numbers. And yet, when we start living off of these investments, you're going to find out what you have to live off of is going to be very different. The same portfolio in terms of the equity, just different amounts of fixed income. My wife and I happen to be 50-50. A lot of you I know talk about being 60-40 when you reach retirement. And we're assuming that this money then has to last for 30, maybe even 40 years. But what we'll do just uh, uh, for interest's sake is look at what would you have had after 20 years, after 30 years, and then look at the most radical situation. What if you retired young 
and you use this money for 52 years. We'll look at that as well. So let's, let's look at some tables now. And, and those tables are noted in the notes, uh, the, the write-up about this podcast. But they are the tables that represent fixed distributions. Using the S&P 500 as the equity part of the portfolio. And we're going to look at starting with 30,000 out of the million to start with. 40, 50, and we'll even take a a peek at 60. Now we've heard that 3 or 4% is probably relatively safe. Not perfectly safe because we don't know what the market's going to do. But we can look to see how it would have worked out. And the things that I'm interested in is noting how different the results are, whether you take out 30000 or 40000 And by the way, with the new calculator, the, investment, the lifetime investment calculator we have on our site, you can test these distributions for any amount that you want. But... What I want to note here is when I look at the results of the S&P 500 starting in 1970, taking out 30000 to begin with, and then upping it each year for inflation, what I see is this. When I look out 20 years and I look at the 40-60, 40, 40% equity, 60% fixed income, That portfolio has not only given you a lot of income, uh, it has left you with a balance after the end of 20 years of a little over $4 million. And you started with a million. And by the way, you ran into some pretty bad years in the early part of 1970. And then it got very good. On the other hand, if you had 10% more equity Because of the defensive nature of having fixed income in the portfolio, the returns are almost the same. The 50% equity had about $50,000 more, and the 60% equity uh, another $20,000 or $30,000 more. So the difference between 40-60 and 60-40 and 50-50, it wasn't very much. And that, of course, is because of what the market did. And you had to deal with those bad years for equities early on. Now, what is interesting also to note on this table, and this is table D1.3, this table shows that for the first 10 years, the inflation was 6% a year compounded. And then for the next decade, another almost 6%. And then in the third decade, it went down to 3%. And then the fourth decade, it was down to 2.5. And the last, down to 1.8. So inflation has been moving down for most of the last 52 years. Now, When we look at 
the amount of money you had left after 30 years. And remember now, you've taken out a lot of money. As a matter of fact, if I look at the whole 52 years that started originally with a $30,000 distribution and then was increased with inflation, you would have taken out a total of about $6,150,000. Now, that's a lot, considering that you started out with 30000 and the last year's distribution, because of inflation, would have been $207,000. So inflation can be a huge problem. It can be a small problem. It depends on your luck of the draw. You know, if you're a 20-something right now, how can we know what kind of inflation you're going to be facing 30, 40 years from now? But I do notice this as I look at table D1.3. Again, $30,000 plus inflation being distributed. I notice that after we get out to the 30th year, that the 40% equity portfolio is now worth 9.7. And the 50-50, which made four-tenths of 1% more, almost $11 million. And the 60-40, which made three-tenths of 1% more than the 50-50, hit $2.2 million. So these, what were small differences in return turned out to produce some much more uh, productive uh, returns for having taken more risk. As a matter of fact, not that you're going to spend 52 years in retirement, but it's certainly possible somebody who retires at age 40 in the fire, the fire group of the financial independence retire early, they could be taking money out of their investments for 52 years. But I notice here that the difference between the 40-60, 40% equity, you would have ended up with $26 million after having taken out $6.2 million. You would have, if you had 10% more equity, instead of $26 million, over $32 million. And if you had 10% more equity and you had 60% in equity, at the end of the 50 years, you would have just a few dollars under $39 million. So a three, not a three, a $13 million difference between the 40-60 and the 60-40, a seven-tenths of 1% difference in return added an extra 12, 13 million dollars. And that's why I harp so much on an extra half a percent. Uh, we want to find every extra half as a matter of fact. Uh, again, I'm looking at, at, at go going up seven tenths of one percent. If you went up a little more and you had been 70, 30, you would have ended up with about $46 million at the end of the 52 years. All hypothetical because you can't buy it. You know, anything, whether it really happened or it didn't happen, you can't buy it. You can only look at it. Maybe you drool, maybe you wish, whatever you do. But 
all we can do is try to look at this relationship between how much you had in equity and how much you had in fixed income. Now, what is interesting now, as I take you to the next table, it too is about the uh, S&P 500, but instead of taking out 30000 to begin with, we take out 40000 So instead of taking out a total of $6.2 million, you're going to take out $8.2 million over this 52-year period. So it's not just the 40000 that's going to be uh, growing in terms of distributions. It's the 40000 plus inflation. And again, that inflation was about 3.8% a year uh, on average. So what do we learn? By taking $10,000 additional money out, how much did you have left? And let's, let's just look at the 60-40, 60 equity, 40 fixed income. When we did this with 30000 we had a little over $4 million left. Now, because of that extra $10,000 and whatever inflation adjustment happened, you're left with 2.6 million. You have left a million four on the table because you increased the amount of money that you took out. And as we look out at the 30th year, the portfolio with the 30% $30,000 distribution was left with $12 million with the 60-40, as opposed now to less than $6 million. So you've cut uh, what you have left in half by simply increasing the amount of that uh, distribution from 30 to 40. It's a big deal. So it's very defensive to take less. It really protects your assets if that's what you're focused on. And if we go all the way through the 52-year period, remember that you took out about $2 million more by taking out 40000 instead of thirty. But what did you have left before? With the 60-40, we had $39 million left. Now... By taking out forty thousand instead of thirty, you have ten million dollars left. I mean, that was a huge reduction because you wanted to spend an extra two million dollars. But that's the way it works. And of course, if we go one more step, and this step is a doozy. This is taking out five percent instead of four percent. This is D1.5. Okay, here's what I can tell you. And if you're not looking at this, it'll be easy to explain. From the 90s on, there's no money to spend. Because by increasing it, first from 30 to 40, and then 40 to 50, that next $10,000 is enough with exactly the same returns to wipe you out of all of your money. In the case of the 100% stock portfolio, you were wiped out in 1992. With the 40% in 
in stocks, you were wiped out in 1998. So having some defense in the portfolio helped it last longer, but in all cases, nothing made it to the bottom of the page. And that's because you took too much out. And remember, you had to adjust for inflation. And you're going to see next week when we get into variable and flexible distributions how if you had used a different way of taking money out, you would have been fine. That money would have lasted at 5% for the whole period. And just for fun, I show you table D1.6. This is, again, S&P 500. And all those different combinations of equity and fixed income and you go broke, except you go broke sooner because you took out 60000 instead of 50000 So if somebody wants to take out 6% and they don't, if they haven't oversaved, if they're, if they're just have enough, boy, I am sure not an advocate of that just because there's just too many possibilities that you, in fact, will have outlived your money. But there's more. And the news is good. It's very good. Because I want to look at another equity portfolio that would be similar to the S&P 500, but we're going to make this adjustment. Instead of having it all in the S&P 500, we're going to split it 25% each between large cap blend, large cap value, small cap blend, and small cap value. And I don't know if you remember this, but let me just bring you up to date if you've forgotten that that combination actually had fewer losses over the last 52 years in terms of total losses and fewer years that it lost money than the S&P 500. And that's because these asset classes didn't go up and down at the, at all together. I mean, if, for example, I'll just give you a couple of examples. In the year 2000, the S&P 500 was down 9.1%. This strategy was up 4.1%. And that's because it wasn't all S&P 500. And there were other equity asset classes that that did better and they made us had a small game gain and then the next year 2001 there was a loss on the S&P 500 of 11.9 the four fund strategy was up 6.4 there was another year the S&P 500 lost 7.2 and the four fund strategy was up 8.8 that was 1977 and you can look at these year-by-year differences here in the table B9, because B9 shows the four fund, U.S. four fund equity portfolio. Nothing exciting or special about it. It's just more equity asset classes, and those led to different kinds of returns. And by the way, there were years that the four fund strategy made less than the S&P 500. So this, this was 
not a strategy that every year was better, but most years were better uh, than the S&P 500. But here's the bottom line. While the S&P 500 compounded at 11.1, the U.S. four-fund strategy compounded at 12.5. Now, that's all equity. But remember, we're not looking at all equity returns when we're talking about about distributions in retirement. I mean, it might be for some people, but in this particular case, we're going to look, remember, 40% equity, 50% equity, 60% equity, and we're going to be looking again at uh, the pages of distributions. Now we're in uh, the fixed distributions, uh, D as in dog, 9.3, 9.3456 so fixed distributions us four fund equity portfolio very conservative only take out $30,000 now it's important to note i think i want you, i want you to be up to date on this here that remember when we looked at the 4060 using the S&P 500. And as you may recall, the 40% equity made 9%, the 50-50 made 9.4, and the 60-40 made 9.7. Now, we want to compare that to the U.S. four-fund strategy because now we've got 40, 50, 60% of the money in fixed income. So... How did it do? Well, the 4060 made 9.6, the 5050 10.2, and 10.7 for the uh, 6040. So it made more money, but not wild and crazy more money, just a little bit more money. It, it added, as a matter of fact, from six tenths of 1% to about 1% for the 60-40. So we know we're going to see better rates of return. And the question, of course, is how, how much more, what difference would it have made to use the four-fund strategy instead? I mean, that's the, that's the reason these tables are being built for you. So you can sit and you can look and you can, and you can ponder what would, we know what you would like. You, we, you want the bottom line figure. I understand that. You want the one that produced the best returns, but you also want to be sensitive about the risks that you took and your comfort with the strategy. So as I look at the four fund strategy now, because what I want to do is I want to compare it to the single S&P 500, and I want to look, for example, at the end of 20 years, the 40% equity was worth $5.5 million with the four fund strategy. It was worth $4 million with the S&P 500. So it added a million and a half dollars. By the way, they both paid out exactly the same amount. Because remember, this was all based on the original distribution plus inflation. So the amount paid out was just the same. It was the value that the portfolio would be worth to your heirs. Now, 
In the case of 50-50, the S&P 500 was a little over 4 million, and for the 50-50 with the four fund strategy, it was worth about $2 million more. And when we go out to the 60-40, the S&P as the equity was a little over 4 million, and in the case of the uh, the for U.S. four fund strategy, it was almost 6.5 million. So now it's about almost two and a half million dollars more by using the four fund strategy. And I really want to encourage you to go back and look at the year by year returns of those two strategies. The fine tuning tables are set up to make that a piece of cake. But the bottom line is that you took out exactly the same amount of money. And if we go all the way out to the 52 years, now we're talking about the fire people on this, but it's worth at least looking at. In the case of the S&P 500 and, and the 40% equity, you ended with over $25, $26 million at the end of 52 years. With the 40% equity using the U.S. four fund strategy, it was $47 million. It was $32 million for the 50-50 strategy with the S&P 500 versus almost $65 million for the 50-50 four fund strategy. And finally, for the 60% equity, it was about $39 million for the S&P 500 versus about $86 million for the four fund strategy. And I know, I know what you're thinking. That's impossible. But you know, folks, this is the part that is, I think is so interesting. This is all relatively recent, what happened in the last 50 years. And it is true. The small cap value was not as well understood. Well, it was not really understood until the 80s and the 90s. Uh, even by the academic community. But at least looking backwards, what we see is a huge advantage to the broader, more diversified portfolio. Now, of course, you know, we want you to also take the time to look at the 40,000. Remember, that's an additional 10,000. That's table D9.4, $40,000. And when we look out to the uh, 20th year, and it, you're going to have about $4 million with the 40%, about $4.3 million, and almost $4.7 million for the 50-50 and the 60-40. I mean, the reality is if you take more out, you are stripping the portfolio of its ability to leave your heirs more at your death. On the other hand, when you take less out, you have fewer experiences potentially in your life. And I do think it's worthwhile to look at table D9.5. This is the one now where we take out 50,000 and notice that instead of running out of money in the 1990s, some of the columns, the 50-50 and the 60-40, make it all the way to the bottom of the page, taking out 50000 and adjusting it for inflation, which is a big deal. 
and you're left with about $10 million for 60% equity, about $4 million for 50% equity, but the 40% equity after about 50 years was out of money. But that's far, far, far better than what you would have uh, ha- what would have happened to you with the S&P 500 as the sole equity asset class. Now, when you look at the $60,000 distribution rate, your, your, your ship is still sunk. You're out of money, uh, basically, by the end of about 20 years. So there was a point that the advantages of the four-fund strategy was not enough to protect that person who wanted to take out a, a very aggressive amount. Now, on the next podcast, I'm going to show you how a 6% distribution is okay and would likely work. But uh, that we will do next week. And I, I am sure you're going to have questions. You know, one of the one of the parts of working with an advisor is it's their job to be there to answer questions any day that you have one. And what I find when I was, when I was an advisor, that uh, there was a period of time after you got set up where there were a lot of questions, got phone calls often about things and how they worked and, and uh, helping them get perspective. Um, but but that is not something I can do today. And so my hope is these tables give you enough historical data that you might conclude that it is valuable as it is, that, that you can find the answers to most of your questions in these tables. And by the way, one of the things I know that uh, uh, Daryl and Chris and I want to do is to explore these this particular portfolio, the four fund strategy, we have the data going all the way back to 1928. And so we can put these numbers through the ringer. And of course, you can put all these numbers through the ringer uh, from 1970 on using the lifetime investment calculator that that, uh, that Craig Apple has has developed for us and our and, and the people who follow our work. And I do think it will be helpful in digging even deeper to go back and reflect on uh, the tables that we produced when we did the podcast uh, on both the no-nonsense studies as well as the 150 portfolios better than yours. Uh, That study that I put together, we put together for the White Coat Investor Conference. And the reason I think it will be worthwhile is we we go into additional uh, information on losses uh, as well as as the gains in those tables beyond what we have in the fine-tuning tables. I want you to to be as intimate with these tables as you can be because uh, they are the reality of the kind of volatility you're going to have uh, in in uh, investing for the future, the stories are all going to be different. The way the way that society rolls out politically, tax wise, there are a whole bunch of things that will will be different. But what will be the same 
is the market goes up and down and we'll always have a reason to go up and we'll always have a reason to go down. And sometimes the public will be very optimistic and look only at the good news. Other times they're very pessimistic and only look at the bad news. I promise there will be times when people only look at the good news and other times they only look at the bad news. Those cause volatility in the short term. But what I'm crossing my fingers for you, because hopefully you're going to be around for a very long time, that, um, that you get a normal market, that you don't get maybe too much on the upside or too much on the downside. Uh, a Goldilocks uh, uh, market would be, would be great as far as I'm concerned, but not likely. The likely outcome will, will be that you're going to have a be riding a wild horse. Your job is is to put the right saddle on it and uh, or apply the right amount of gas to the gas pedal and 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 brake to the brake pedal. However you want to think about it, the portfolio should be the perfect portfolio for you. And I think now that you understand, uh, I hope. Uh, how to use these tables, there's a whole bunch of them for all the different strategies that we have, including all value U.S., all value worldwide, uh, the, the worldwide four fund strategy, uh, the all small cap value. Now, who would be interested in the all small cap value? Well, I think it, it is a possibility. You might have uh, a portfolio. In fact, the portfolio that we have for ourselves and for our kids, part of it is invested very aggressively. Uh, and not to be, it's well, we can use it if we want to, and we have used it a few times, but we take a lot more risk with that money because it's basically uh, for our survivors. And it might be that while you could have a million dollars in the four fund U.S. strategy, you might actually want to put uh, 100000 uh, in the, um, uh, the worldwide small cap value. When you look at the results historically, you might say, you know, we could use that for, uh, if, if it does well, we're going to do something a little wild and crazy. We're going to spend the money on a trip we might not otherwise have spent it on. I don't know how you'll figure that that uh, that out in your life, but I but I but I think that will happen for some people. So take a look at all those tables that you <laughs> that you can take and uh, and pass them on to others if you think that it will be helpful. And certainly, any time that you have an opportunity to either like or leave a testimonial for our work at uh, whether it's at iTunes or or somewhere, uh, maybe on YouTube, if you've watched some of our work, that is all helpful in, in getting others to, uh, uh, to, to, notice, to notice us, because that's the big problem on the internet. There's a lot of competition, and you can help us uh, uh, weed through that and get to some people who might be helped. So thanks for listening, as always. Uh, I hope uh, it was helpful. And next week, uh, we're going to be doing the uh, flexible variable distributions. Uh, and then we'll get back to a, a great Q&A session with Chris and, uh, uh, and Daryl. Thank you so much. 
That was Paul Merriman with Sound Investing. Sound Investing, soundinvesting.com and paulmerriman.com are produced and exclusively owned by Paul Merriman, who is solely responsible for their content. For more information, free articles, mutual fund recommendations, and more, visit paulmerriman.com.